Thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me as always, my Academy Award winning co-host, soon to be future Academy Award winner, Kirk. Hello, hello. And I'm your other co-host, Cam. We are here with you. Date of recording is t- uh, Wednesday. Wednesday? March Maybe? 15th. What is time anyways, Cam? Is it actually Wednesday? Serious, this is, is a serious question. It is somehow Wednesday. That is oh, correct. Man. Yeah, because we were gonna record last night. It's just been it has been a it has been a period of time, guys. It really has. You know what's fun is that it's Wednesday for us, but who knows what day it is for the listeners out there? It could be it could be any, any day. day of the week. It's, it's, Would you feel more special if you turn a podcast on and it is the day that they referenced in the recording? Well, that'll never happen for our listeners because it's it's always I always post it the day after. So, uh, but think about someone who's like catching up, such as like our wives oh. who listen late, and they're like, "Oh, let me turn this on. I've got some time. I did see X movie, and I'm ready to watch this or listen to the news uh, of what's yeah. happening." I think I think maybe that would be very fun. It'd be like like winning a golden ticket if you happen to be listening on a Wednesday mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. That would be good. Wednesday or even March 15th, 2024. Beware the Ides. 400. Beware or the... other might call it 2400. Yeah. Gosh. You never know. <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, we're here. We're making it through. We're going to kick it old school tonight, Kirk. I've got no... No visual aids going tonight. No, nothing. Nothing going. We're going to talk about the Oscars. We're going to recap the Oscars. And there is so much to recap. That's why I took a, that's why I kind of sound exasperated there. The Oscars are always a marathon, not a sprint. Four hours, basically, of reading lists of, of movies and winners of awards. There's so much to take in. We talk about them for so long before they actually happen that after they happen, it's almost hard to remember who won what because you've talked about every possible scenario. That's a, that's the position I found myself in uh, on Monday morning when my coworkers were like, Hey, how was, how was, how were the Oscars? What did you think? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't remember anything. Um, but yeah, Kayla, I just want I, I'm glad you pointed it out because you look so exhausted. I, I mean, you look like you've aged 35 years since watching the Oscars. Yes, it's true. The, the gray in your beard. That's right. And uh, I think one of your eyes is twitching right mm-hmm. now. So I know the audience can't see this, but it's pretty. It's the pretty listening audience can. The been... YouTube audience can definitely see how bad I look. But it is, uh, you know, this is not just, I know this looks like a white undershirt. It's actually a shirt. Uh, that features the the uh, the the logo for the 1991 animated masterpiece Beauty and the Beast. So it's not just a white shirt; it's Beauty and the Beast oh. shirt. Um, I thought yeah. it was you shirtless. I thought you had it t- tattooed on your chest. No, I wore it because uh, because some people forget that Beauty and the Beast was nominated for an Academy Award. That's right. For Best picture. That's absolutely right. Yeah, people forget about that. It's uh, it's one of the one of the only Disney animated films to do so. That was that was my loose tie to it. I was like, how can I explain my Beauty and the Beast shirt? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Uh, so Kirk, we'll talk about the Oscars. We're gonna swing around at the end to clear you know clear the the ledger of a few stories that have come across the ticker since we last spoke about movie news. There's a few. Really interesting ones to kind of get into. We'll, we'll kind of treat them as quick hitters because the focus of today is Oscars recap, but we're not going to let an episode go by without chatting about some of these that are hot off the presses. Very interesting stuff going on out there. But, Kirk, we are going to start with a little What's Poppin' Oscars recap edition. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it. All right, so we had it. We had we had Hollywood's biggest night, the 95th annual Academy Awards. Um, and really, Kirk, this will be kind of free form. We're not going to go through. The, we're not going to go through every category. Uh, we did. We've done that a couple of times where we said, you know, who should win, who will win, whatever. I have to say, my observation was we were both pretty close on a lot of that stuff. I think um, both of us predicted Brendan Fraser will win. Yes. Um, both of us predicted Michelle Yeoh will win and Kiwi Kwan 
And did you say Jamie Lee Curtis would win? I don't remember. I, didn't I know. Want her I know to. she wasn't your should win because she was neither of our should wins. Did but I say that she will win? Oh, I'm gonna have to go listen. I'm not sure. I think you might have said Angela Bassett, but I can't remember. Um, mm. But I want to. I want to talk about the acting categories because I feel like these are the things that are really hotly contested. Kirk, just generally speaking, um, I think this is one for one with the SAG Awards, if I'm remembering correctly. In the in the acting categories, I believe this is a, a exact like for like. Um, matchup, which, you know, to your credit, Kirk, you pointed out the SAG Awards are often a pretty good indicator of what will happen in the Academy Awards. But, pull, like, peeling all of that off and just looking at them for what they are, how do you feel about this set of winners? Where's your head at? I mean, A24, the film studio, took home all four of these awards between Everything Everywhere getting three and The Whale getting one. But as we look back on this, uh, you know, as the years go by and we look back on this historically, did the Academy get it right? I think culturally, I think they got the performances correct with the exception of best supporting. I think that the best supporting Actress? win. Yes. Thank you. I think that Jamie Lee Curtis's win was part apology for Jamie Lee Curtis's misses in her career and part, um, part, uh, her kindness, right? Like, so there's been such a big push and story for how incredible Jamie Lee Curtis is on set, uh, not only recently, but in the past to, to new actors, to current actors, to, um, you know, to purchasing giant gifts to make production more fun or to make production happen when she's not a producer, uh, just things like that. So I think it was, it was an industry apology slash acknowledgement more so than it was based on her performance, though her performance was good. I've, I've seen a number of Jamie Lee Curtis performances and none of them were quite like that. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit on the line, but I could still, I could still live with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Where did you have her out of the five ladies? Okay. So we got Stephanie, Angela Bassett. We got Angela. We got Jamie. We got Hong Chow. Carrie Carrie Hong. I would say Hong's number five. I've got, I had Angela's number two. Uh, I had Carrie as number three. So she would have been four, four out of five. Jamie Lee Curtis would have been number four for me. I had her four out of five too. Um, Ahead of only Hong Chow. And that was really based on the fact that Hong Chow doesn't get a ton of screen time in the whale. Like she does. Um, And it's also, it's just not, I don't know. It's it's it. We've said it. Not our favorite movie of the year. Neither of us. Um, mm-hmm. So it's hard to compare that. But I had her four. I think that I think that one's a big miss for the Academy. I I think it's exactly what you said, and that's why I I predicted it as well that she would win. Is it's uh, it's a sentimental thing. She's never been nominated before um, for an Academy Award, and based on the types of roles that she typically picks, and this is no disrespect to Jamie Lee Curtis, but I mean, you know, Laurie Strode is not going to win any Academy Awards. <laughs> the, the Halloween movies are not going to come into the Academy Awards and scoop up a bunch of wins. Um, so this is probably her one shot. This this was probably her, her only chance to do it. So I think it's... We see this from time to time at the Academy Awards. I don't think it's right. I'll be honest. Like not to be not to be a, an Ebenezer Scrooge, but I think that um, the Academy will a lot of times go the sentimental route, which is one of the possibilities I talked about in our last episode. But I think it's wrong. I think it needs to be on the basis of the performance every time. It needs to be whatever's happening that year. You have to you have to cancel out all the noise, the storylines, the campaigning. You have to focus on the performances. And uh, I don't even think that Jamie Lee Curtis was the best supporting actress performance in that movie. So it's, it's a difficult one. People were ticked about it. I think it's hard too, because, and this is why I don't like the sentimental route, Kirk on the other side of that coin, you've got Angela Bassett, right? Who this is probably her best shot at it. You know, she, she doesn't, she doesn't do that many projects these days. Black Panther, Wakanda forever is you re- or, or really the Black Panther franchise is the one majorly mainstream property that she's a part of, been a part of, 
and had a chance to really shine on this level. I mean, that was probably it. And I think her reaction said it all. People were kind of clipping that and being like, oh man, feel so bad for Angela Bassett. So it's like, you can't go sentimental in one way and not in the other. Like somebody got left out in the cold there and this time it was Angela Bassett. Right, right, right. It's, it's sad. It's, it's really sad because it really felt like it was going to be her year. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is going to be fuel for her to say, I'm going to take on the best grittiest project. Maybe someone stopped her on the way out the Oscars and said, listen, I see you and I've got this project. If you'll say yes, I know you can kill it. That does sometimes happen. We've seen actors go on streaks where they are nominated for like six years in a row and finally they get it. I mean, think of Leo for his full Oscar campaign. Should have won a long time ago. Should have won probably for Wolf of Wall Street, uh, but didn't get there till Revenant, which arguably is not one of his incredible performances. It's just um, just a really hard production shoot is really what that movie came down to is why, Hey, he ate a real liver. That's uh let's give him the Oscar, you know, like eh, whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think the sentimentality, you nailed it. It really was a sentimental night. There were, there were clear, uh, clear winners for their credit, uh, for their performances, but also more so it tipped the scale into that sentimentality, which you were worried about. Yeah. And I, I feel like it does take away from people like Kiwi Kwan like Michelle Yeoh, um, you know, Brendan Fraser falls into the sentimentality bucket a little bit. His his performance was fantastic, and he was definitely one of the one of the top two. And on any given night, you could say it was a toss up between them. But every time you and I talked about it, Kirk, it was Austin Butler who we thought actually gave the better performance of the two this year. And I think the majority of people agreed with that. Um, so he does fall into that a bit, but it, but it kind of takes away from Kiwi Kwan and Michelle Yeoh, both of whom gave powerhouse performances in the film that won best picture and deserved it because you can find great narratives and great storylines for them too. And so people will go, Oh, well, you know that the Academy Awards, it's a popularity contest. It's who's got the best story. And you hate to see that too. Like you don't want that to happen. Um, because I, I mean, I think, I, I don't think there's really an argument for Kiwi Kwan like against it. <laughs> I just no. don't. Uh, but I would hate to see it get lumped into that category. I felt like the rest of them, the rest of the acting awards were fine. I was happy that Michelle Yeoh won, happy that um, Kiwi Kwan won. I think probably Austin Butler deserved it over Brendan Fraser, but it's more of a dead heat between those two than it is um, the other categories. So I, I could see it. And, and I'm thrilled for Brendan Fraser. He seems like an, an awesome guy and, there's lots of good press about him, et cetera. He was a he was definitely yep. a political kind of like darling in terms of the award politics. And that's great. Kudos to him. I think he deserves it. I'm not trying to take anything away from him at all. Um, so I think those three were great. The Jamie Lee Curtis one raises some eyebrows. And I mean that with no disrespect to Jamie Lee Curtis. It just it it is the nature of kind of how that went down. You know what's funny about the best actor win is that Arguably, Banshees of Inisherin is the best movie of our top three contenders uh, with mm -hmm. Colin Farrell, Elvis, uh, Colin Farrell and Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis and The Whale. Yeah. And so we have Elvis and we start, we have Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser as our top two with great performances. But um, The Whale fell short. Elvis, Tom Hanks fell short. <laughs> so, <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Every time for the rest of the time, I will speak about his terrible performance. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tom. Uh, but you, it, it, that's, what's funny because um, they, they weren't, they weren't by any means perfect movies, but the performances just outshined everything and carried them and carried the buzz and carried the nominations. And those were the top two. And of course, Brendan took it away with the lesser of the films that were, good enough to be in that category it's it's just crazy it's just really crazy yeah it is and, and i i kind of want to talk about that too because i think one of the other themes that you always have to look at it with the academy awards and this is something that i've kind of keyed in on in recent years as i've become more privy to how this kind of thing works but like did the academy were they consistent did, were they consistent in terms of what was nominated, what won, what like the consistency across categories of things getting nominated like and winning. So like All Quiet on the Western Front 
made a huge Cinderella run at the beginning of the show and was scooping up awards that people thought were contested. Uh, production design was a surprise for people. Score was a surprise for people um, for All Quiet. International feature, definitely not a surprise. Or, uh, sorry, yeah, international feature. I keep forgetting they, they changed the name of that. Um, yep. I, I asked a legitimate question on Twitter. I want to know the answer to this. Is it possible within the Academy rules for All Quiet to lose having been the only international feature film to also be nominated for Best Picture? I would think no. It would have to win by default. But they do the nominations and then they do the vote on the movie. So couldn't it technically lose and still be nominated for Best Picture? It absolutely could technically lose. It absolutely <laughs> could. I think, and this is part of our culture, the uh, deficiency in our culture, I think that there are many people who are not going to see those foreign films uh, who are voted, who are Academy-carrying members, and they say, which one's nominated for Best Picture? That's the one I'll vote for, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so one of the, that so getting back to the original point is like we see all quiet scoop up all these awards. Um, you know, I think it won like four four Academy Awards or something like that. Yes. Uh, it 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 did really well, and film Twitter was freaking out because they were like, "Oh my gosh, is all quiet on the Western Front going to upset everything everywhere all at once?" I mean, it was like pure pandemonium, <laughs> even though in all of those wins, it it wasn't all quiet like upsetting. They, they like they won things that it, everything everywhere wasn't really a, a contest for. Anyway, right. it wins all those awards, but it doesn't get nominated for director. Okay, Edward Berger doesn't. Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Ursland does. It it does not. It also doesn't get nominated for any of the acting categories. None. So it gets nominated for adapted screenplay. It gets nominated for best picture. It wins. Uh, you know. Production design, score, international feature, etc. What do you think? Like, is does that make does that make sense? Did the Academy do that right? Because I, I guess I'm, it's a leading question because I kind of feel like no. How did it not get nominated for director if the Academy supposedly liked this movie so much? I think that's the miss. I think the other ones, the wins make sense, but yeah, yeah, yeah. win makeup as well. Correct? No. Makeup Just was kidding. the whale. That's right. That was which... the upset because the, the makeup <laughs> was slept on. The makeup was slept on in All Quiet on Agreed. the Western Front because one would, uh, it's arguably, it toes the line between is that production or is that makeup? It's 100% the makeup, the, the crusted mud on the face, the, the blood, the, the everything. Everything was was so well done in that. Um, but I, th- I think they got it right. But I do agree with you that director absolutely should have been nominated for that. It doesn't make sense that it didn't. I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, the miss on that front. I, I get it. I mean, I, I feel that I feel like definitely Edward Berger should have been nominated if, if it won all of these awards, I think some of the awards are questionable score, which was a, one that somebody was like, a lot of people were really going at each other on Twitter about, because it's like, you got the Babylon hive. Who's like Justin Hurwitz should always win. Anytime he's nominated for score, you've got like, the everything everywhere all at once hive who are like sun looks like it has to be this, whatever. Um, so that one was a bit upsetting, but that score is bomb that like, like that. It's like a Trent Reznor baseline. It's, they played it like 20 times throughout the course of the night. It's, it's just (laughs) iconic. And I love iconic things. I feel like that should win production design, maybe raise my eyebrows a lot because I'm like, we've made a lot of world war one, films (laughs) films <laughs> like yes. the book the book is kind of written on how to create and shoot these movies now you have to execute and you have to do a good job but like was there like this movie also won cinematography that was the fourth award it won it's like is there anything that was done here that roger deakins didn't do better in 1917 i would argue right. no <laughs> there there are scenes in all quiet that i mean if you put someone, if you blindfolded someone uh, after you knocked them out and you kidnapped them from their home and you took them to a secluded location. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm following, and, I'm following. And you had, you turned on All Quiet on the Western Front. You said, listen, 
is this all quiet in the Western Front or 1917? The lives of your family depend on it. No one would be able to guess it right. There are there are just a couple of scenes that are the colors are exactly the same. The framing of the buildings of of the of the rubbled buildings uh, from bombings are the same, and that person would lose their family. <laughs> like they really, yeah. the production of those are very similar in in a in a very uh, not only those but but the running like they're like oh this is 1917. They say, well, you should say goodbye to your family they're russian by the way right and sure that's what's so weird about the, the that they won that they won that in particular you're exactly right there's so many so many world war one films yeah you could almost make like a five to six hour supercut of oh. 1917 uh i don't know it would be difficult but you you could make something that's somewhat conscionable like somewhat coherent where like it's it's you're showing the good guy perspective and and the the bad guy the german perspective and you're just kind of cutting back and forth you know you could almost make that movie except Please for make that movie right all now. quiet is like almost all based in that one section of the the battle um but still it could be done it could be done it could be its own segment like yeah you know like like an explosion happens in 1917. You know how they had like the fake outs where, where it looks like a continuous shot, right? Yes. You have an explosion that fills the screen. And all of a sudden we cut to the German side uh, of, <laughs> yes. of, a, of a very distinct section. Oh my gosh. It's perfect. All right. We'll it's spend the next camp. three years of our lives making that cut in Adobe After Effects. <laughs> It'll be well worth the time investment to do that. Uh, we'll get paid a lot of money yeah, for we'll it. We'll get paid a ton. We'll get actually, we'll get DMCA'd on, on YouTube and it'll never see the light of day, is what will happen. That's true. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's think. Anything else Oscars related? I mean, we could talk about the show too, Kirk, like the overall broadcast um how it would compare whatever but mostly just opening up the floor here for any any final thoughts or things you want to say about the 95th installment of the academy awards yeah i thought that jimmy kimmel did a good job in addressing the elephant in the room the slap from last year (laughs) from 2022 i'm sorry 20 yeah the 2022 Oscars about the 2021 films that always gets me. Um, I loved how he was saying, you're going to have to go through Adonis Creed. You're going to have to go through Spider-Man. And they cut to Andrew Garfield in in my head. I kid you not. My inner monologue said, Oh, here comes Tom Holland. I didn't know he was here. And you see Andrew Garfield, which is exactly what everyone else was thinking. There's like, huh? And so he does this, this quick grin, which you shared a gif of it, which I was so glad that existed already. (laughs) Yes. This quick grin, like, I don't know, <laughs> and got the biggest, I think, the biggest laugh of the night because it was so incredible. Um, he said, Spider-Man, Fable Man, cuts to Steven Spielberg. Uh, that was one of my favorite my favorite moments of the night, addressing the slap. The, the problem that I had was that there was no follow-through. Like, there were all of these plants for these jokes that could have been ongoing, we never had someone get danced off the stage by the RRR crew. We didn't even have the original cast for, you know, the original hit big leads for RRR. But I also understand that's, you know, they'd only got nominated for one thing. So how do you right. pay the, the yeah. big, some of the biggest actors in the world to do that? Um, and yeah, you know, there, there just should have been more follow through. Things got were there. And I'm like, oh, I hope they I hope they circle back to that. And they didn't. So that's why I feel like it was like all this energy set up and not a lot of payoff. Yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of that. I think Jimmy Kimmel is a, is a great Oscars host. I think he's done a great job. But even comparing this to the last time he hosted, um, I think it was the last time he hosted the infamous, you know, 2017 Oscars about the 2016 films where yeah. we had the Moonlight La La Land d- disaster. Um, there were... In that show, they had, like, these cool, like, video segments with funny bits, like, actors on actors type of thing, uh, where they had one where Jimmy Kimmel made fun of Matt Damon's We Bought a Zoo. Um, That, like, that's one of my, I remember that very vividly, and they were doing, like, bits with Guillermo, like, bringing people in off the street and stuff like that. Like, where has that been at the Academy Awards since whatever, 2017, 2018, like it used to, and I put this on social media too. So if you, if you read that uh, apologies for the 
repeat, but like it used to be a show. The Academy mm-hmm. Awards used to be a real show. And now with the exception of like the opening monologue, which is really just, you know, it's, it's, it's no different from watching like a late night show because they didn't have any, anything to enhance the monologue. There's no musical number or no spectacle, whatever you've got that. And you've got a couple of Jimmy Kimmel bits that are funny throughout. Other than that, it's really just people reading people's names. <laughs> it's, and it's very dry. It. He has been a talk show host for so long in that he just came out to do his opening monologue. What? But it was an opening monologue for his talk show. Yeah, and which was safe, clean, but not elevated enough to cement this night in history once a year. You're exactly right. Yeah, I. I so I mean, like, it's it's all fine and whatever. But I think, and maybe I'm I'm on an island here, and and I just it's just me, and that's fine. But I'm just thinking of myself, sample size of one someone who loves movies, who watches movies, like it's my favorite hobby. I I will watch a movie. If I get free time, I'm going to try to watch a movie. And if I can't sit there and enjoy the show and like be eager about what's to come next, then like who, who is it for (laughs) really? Uh, I mean, cause I can read the winners online and that's what I do for every other award show. So I'm just like, they got to find a way to get people to tune in. And I know that their ratings were up this year, but maybe they won't be next year. I don't know. I, I just feel like this show is on life support. Well, I, as always, will throw our names in the hat for this. We could construct a musical number, a parody of sorts. Definitely a parody. Beyond that, I think it'd be bad news. I I don't know. The donkey bit, (laughs) I could do that. I could wheel the donkey onto the stage. That was pretty funny. I think that we could, you know, a, a la Billy Crystal, um, one of the greatest Oscars hosts. Yeah, I like and Billy Crystal's Oscars host. He also did this. <laughs> he hosted, I think he hosted the MTV Movie Awards once or twice too. But he would uh, supercut himself via green screen into films that were nominated for that particular year. Yeah, it's and great. He would pretend to have conversations with them. He would even film additional scenes with those actors as well. I know they're all busy, but they that's that's what it's all about like they would come back for those things and if they don't move on to the next movie and that movie gets a little bit more bump and notoriety like oh i didn't see that movie but i really like the billy crystal uh goofy sketch i'm gonna go watch that movie now like all of that plays into the promotional uh continuation of that story and preservation of that story so yeah that's us that's what we're gonna do we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna reach out and we're gonna say hey listen you guys need some energy you guys need some fresh ideas and these two brilliant minds from Southern Illinois are about to change the face of the Oscars. I cringe every time you go down this path. Cause I, I don't <laughs> like to be uh, self promotional, but the point you're making is a good one, which is uh, <laughs> it, something needs to happen. And I feel like the bits and like the, the, the things that need to happen have been done. So you don't even have to like create something new. You don't have to come right. up with a new idea. Just like look back at the good shows and be like, what is something that they did that was funny and good? Let's do that again. I mean, honestly, at this point, nobody would even know. So make the Oscars great again. I'm going to put it on a red hat and hope people don't beat me up. They probably <laughs> no, will. No, closer. Read it again. <laughs> read it. Please <laughs> actually read it. <laughs> All right. Let's move on away from the Oscars and into... Um, a quick what's popping update. Um, a couple of things, Kirk. One is colossal, so we'll start there. Which is the movie with Anne Hathaway, or which one? <laughs> There's a movie with Anne Hathaway <laughs> called Colossal. Oh yes, it's got Jason Sudeikis and Anne Hathaway. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. This is a other, this is an older movie. Is that what you're talking about? It's not a new. It's one. from like 20. Oh goodness, how old is it? I'm gonna say 2012 is when it's from 2016. Where 20, is it 2016? 2016. Wow. Yeah, she's like somehow interconnected with this monster in Japan, like her emotions. And uh, and then Jason Sudeikis all of a sudden is too, but he becomes, spoiler alert, the villain of the movie. That's mm. colossal for you. Yeah. Yeah, so no, not that. Not oh, that Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Great guess. Way to be on your toes. Um, but the news itself, Kirk, is what's actually colossal, which is this. The great... Quentin Tarantino once said long ago, famously, that he, what was it, that he would direct 10 films and then be done. Or there was an age stipulation as well. 
If he turns 60, 60, he would stop. Okay. I have no idea how old he is, but what I do know is he's making his 10th film. So uh, <laughs> it's a uh, 1970s period piece starring a female lead, and it's going to be called The Movie Critic. That's the title of the film, working title, The Movie Critic. These things can always change as they, as they kind of go through it. Um, but that's what he's working on. Scheduled to begin production sometime this fall. Studios are taking a look at it, seeing which one will purchase it. I know he's worked with Sony uh, the last couple times, perhaps. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood, I know he did. Um, Mm -hmm. Kirk, you're a big Tarantino guy. I mean, I am as well. But the movie critic, 1970s period piece, what are you thinking? I'm thinking it's going to be incredible. I do think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will probably be his greatest film. His Ninth uh, Symphony. Rec- oh, wait, no. That's the one before you die, isn't it? Which one? I said it was his ninth film. So I was like, his Ninth Symphony, but that's that's the symphony before you die. So maybe not. That was his eighth symphony. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that one's going to be the one that, I don't know, it just, it's just so perfectly crafted. All of the other ones are great minus the hateful eight. <laughs> but I really think that that's the one that's going to be best. The movie critic sounds perfect. It sounds really great. I mean, he has been, it's not only a great story about this incredible, uh, literal movie critic, but it's also a, a critique against his own self. Uh, the movie critic is, is a, is a female, which we know that Quentin Tarantino likes to spotlight female actresses and, and never has shied away from that. Uh, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill and, and all the other, uh, incredible female characters that he puts in his films. But also how much criticism has Quentin Tarantino faced? Uh, how much, uh, downtrodden, uh, nights has he, has he been against on the internet or, or up or up on the streets where people were saying it's too violent. You're just, you're just filthy. Your, your mouth is filthy. Your films are filthy. Uh, those, those are things that are really great that I think that's going to be a little bit meta for him in his, in his final film. It's all still speculative, but it's very strong, strongly speculative. But I really do think that if this goes through, this will be a great 10th film for Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Do you think he's going to drag film critics? Do you think he's going to make a main character who's a film critic and then make make her a horrible person? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> That's my concern. I, I think he'll have the whole spectrum. I think he'll have terrible people, and I think he'll also have like have have them talk to like a critic circle or council, and they'll all discuss and they'll all have different ideas. And maybe the idea of it is much like we like to bring to the table is that you can like what you like and that's fine. And you can yeah. be mad about something, but don't be mad at me. I didn't do anything to you. I think that would be a really great aspect of it that will not only uh, it'll help keep it timeless and it'll help help people understand like, listen, it's just a movie. It can change your life. It can just be a movie, whatever you want it to be. Yeah, and uh, good social commentary there, if so, because lots of people these days like to hate each other for uh, differing opinions, which is not cool. Um, well, it you know we we can't talk that much more about it because we don't really know anything more about it, but we know that it's it's uh, the goal is for it to begin production this fall. Um, that's according to the Hollywood Reporter, good buddy Boris Kit with the with the scoop there, and. Boris. He Boris is on fuego, man. He's always dropping, dropping juicy scoops, but, um, that's pretty much it. The movie critic, 1970s period piece, female lead. That's what we got. Uh, but coming to a theater near you probably sometime within the next two years. All right, Kirk and other big giant studio news. We got confirmation from the man himself, James Gunn, who likes to do this, that he will be the one who directs his uh, Superman legacy film that he's written. Uh, whenever they announced this film uh, at the end of January, I think it was actually exactly January 31st, um, <laughs> he said that he had written the film, but he didn't know who would direct it. Now we know, and it's going to be him. I think all of us sort of expected this, right, Kirk, but... He posted a big long thing on Twitter kind of talking about his thought process going into it and how, you know, he, first of all, didn't even think he would write a Superman movie because he said he was offered a Superman movie years ago, um, which I found really interesting. And he turned it down because he didn't feel like he had anything new to bring to the character. But now that he, now he's changed his opinion and it inspired him so much that he wrote it. 
But even then, he wasn't sold on directing it until he kind of sat and lived with it for a while, and now he feels that he's the one that uh, needs to direct the movie. Kirk, does this, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how much this moves the needle, but does this make you feel more confident or less confident in the film, if if at all? I feel a little more confident, and I think I I have more confidence in how much you'll like this movie, too. Uh, I was listening to a couple of different uh contributors out there creators out there today and uh, part of it was that a lot of the relationship that he's gonna that he wants to build into this script and and express is that his his love or his connection to both his biological father and his uh, and his new and jonathan ken is his earthly yeah. father and uh kind of like what that means for him and his brother uh the guns and to, to their dad i think that's pretty cool and because i know i love james gunn i know you're an even bigger fan i think that this might be the version of superman that you've been waiting for um that will that will really just like i don't know check all the boxes I hope so. I mean, I've been pretty vocal. My issue with the portrayal of Superman and Clark Kent, um, even, even, you know, or maybe even especially Zack Snyder's interpretation, which was a bit more edgy, my problem has been that they don't give him any depth as a character. And this character does have depth if the right if he's in the hands of the right writer. Um, so I was immediately glad whenever I heard that this movie was based on the Grant Morrison um run the all-star Superman comics. Um, cause Grant Morrison is a really capable writer and has written. That's a really great story. Um, actually a lot of the comics that James Gunn picked are, are comics that I just really love. Um, and I've, I've read some of them that I hadn't read before since he's made this announcement and I love them as well. So, uh, I'm really excited about it, but I'm really looking forward to, I was glad that the first thing that he kind of said about Superman was about his relationship dynamics because I think that that's so key. Um, he is a, you know, he was an orphan. He was orphaned on earth and is an alien and gets adopted. I mean, that should give a character a ton of depth. So I'm excited to see that explored. And I hope that, hope that they do a good job. I, I feel more confident in the James Gunn thing. And I, I feel like just overall good about the direction of DC because whenever he, they kind of announced the co-CEO thing between him and him and Peter. He said that he would still be directing films, but I want to, I want to see how that works. And I think he should be directing films and he should be really closely tied to the creative vision. So I'm excited that for the, you know, very first film that it will be that scenario. Yeah. It's going to be powerful because as the leader, you know, do it, do as I do, you know, walk in my footsteps uh, that's the perfect example to charge and blaze the new trail of the DCU. So yes, yes, beautiful. All right, moving right along. Um, a couple of other quick hitters. First of all, we've got a couple of films in the works with some some pretty hot names in the in the film industry. So first of all, Guillermo del Toro is reportedly working on a Frankenstein film. At Netflix, we know that he's collaborated a lot with Netflix over the past couple of years. Um, but according to Deadline, names that are attached to that project right now in Talks to Star, brace yourselves, uh, Andrew Garfield, Mia Goth, and Oscar Isaac. So some huge names, very popular names there. Um, <clears throat> Andrew Garfield, uh, on that same note, is also going to be starring in a movie with another hot name, Florence Pugh, uh, called We Live in Time. And that one's supposed to be more of like a rom-com, funny romantic type of thing, but, or maybe not a rom-com, but just kind of like a heartfelt love story, um, kind of project. So what do you, what do you react to that news, Kirk? Anything there that you like or hate? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think Guillermo is fantastic, but I think he's pumping out too many projects right now. So even though Frankenstein should be a home run for him, I think he needs to take his time. To make it right, I think Oscar Isaac should be the monster, and I think Andrew Garfield should be Doctor Frankenstein. That's my my two cents. I hope that's the way the casting goes. And I absolutely love the pairing of Florence Pugh and Andrew Garfield. I think it's akin to uh, you know 
they're they're like the ripe age uh, of watching Leo and Amy Adams race to win their Oscars. Still waiting on Amy Adams, um, but that's how I kind of feel because they're they're that good. They're they're so good at at performing and creating and storytelling. And so putting them in the same movie, it's like watching watching. I should maybe maybe I should say Leo and Kate Winslet. Like that's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's electric. Those two are electric. I cannot imagine either of them putting in a bad performance. Yeah, Florence Pugh is in so many things right now. Like she's yes. she's on one of those streaks where it's like, how does she even have time to do all of the things that she's doing? And like, oh, by the way, is also getting paid like hundreds of millions of dollars by Marvel to lead their Thunderbolts movie. And I don't know, it's just it's wild. And Andrew Garfield has been on a bit of a tear, but really after like <clears throat> like No Way Home and that whole stretch, you hadn't really heard anything about his upcoming projects. I know he did Under the Banner of Heaven, but there wasn't really, like, Andrew Garfield news, and now it feels like his agent's back on the phones and <laughs> starting to get some stuff on his schedule. So it's yeah. it's exciting. Should be two, two really exciting projects. All right. Last one. This one is just, just good news. Wanted to share it. The Ballerina spinoff starring Anna de Armas will feature... Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Uh, we don't know the extent of which, but Keanu Reeves himself confirmed that he will appear in the ballerina spinoff as, as John Wick. And uh, we're just a few weeks away, Kirk, from John Wick 4, so we're about to dive headlong back into the John Wick universe. Um, but that's, I mean, that's just, if you're a fan, you got to be revved up about the idea of the the spinoff, but not just being a spinoff, like actually having John Wick in the film as well to, to hold it down alongside Anna de Armas, who, speaking of hot names in Hollywood, is like a megastar. So it's going to be epic. What if we perfectly time out bathroom breaks and meals and naps where we start John Wick 1? Mm-hmm. And we finish John Wick three and we travel to the movie theater to see John Wick four. What do you think? That is easier than some of the other ones that I've attempted. So I'm open to that. And the other thing about that, if you start that at the right time, I don't think that would be that hard. Right. Because I think at most there are two hours. So if you have two hour stretches, you think one to two bathroom breaks per movie, lunch, dinner, and you go to the right, you, you could do it. You could wake up. You can and eat it. while you watch the movie. And, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I think if you started like midday, you could easily watch all three and make it in time for an evening showtime at like seven thirty or eight. And right. Just be kicking it. We could do it. It could be done. Maybe it needs to be done, Kirk. Maybe this is a sign. Maybe, maybe, maybe this needs to happen. Yeah, I think you eat breakfast, like a late breakfast, like nine or nine o'clock, and then you start at ten thirty. I may have a spreadsheet already, but yeah, I was gonna (laughs) say you're you're clearly way into this. Well, I'll just let you take the wheel. I mean, just go for it, man. If you if you give me a time and a date, I'm there. You need to take off work. (laughs) Oh, say the word. I love John Wick. I I was one of the worst things that's happened to me in my life, which should just say how great of a life that I have, um, was Keanu Day not happening on my birthday. It was originally yeah. supposed to happen on my birthday last year, May 21st, 2022. It was going to be Matrix 4 and John Wick 4, same day, didn't happen, and I am still very upset about it. Very upset. It would have been the greatest Keanu Day ever. Like- ever. What, like neither studio was contesting that they should like split the weekend up. They're like, no, this is the day this we're doing it. It, it should have been, been a national holiday. They should have kept it and it should have been everybody's off. Yes. It's, it's unfair. It's unfair. I'm and sorry. I, I for can't, you lost. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I can't wait for, for John Wick Ford. I'm so excited. Um, lastly, Kirk, to, to tease our next episode. So this week we are, or not our next episode, but next week's review. This week we are reviewing Scream 6. I know a lot of you are waiting to figure out if we were going to review Scream 6 or 65. I wanted to see both. The box office spoke, though. The box office spoke, and people went to go see Scream. They did not go, go see 65. So I will swing back around and watch that. We will not review it on this podcast. Sorry to anybody who was waiting for that. But... We're reviewing Scream 6 this week. But next week, 
we will be reviewing Shazam Fury of the Gods. Kirk, the the review embargo has been lifted. I've seen a few flicker through on the Twitter timeline. None of them really conclusive one way or the other. I, I got to get just a sense of your headspace heading into Shazam Fury of the Gods. Where, where do you where what are you expecting from this movie? You tell me first, Cam. You've been asking a lot of questions I will. today. And I want to hear what you think about Shazam 2. Here's what I will say. I think the trailers for Shazam, Fury of the Gods, have been awful. I, I, don't, I really do. I don't think a, a one has been good. And, uh, man, I should, have, I should have mentioned the Little Mermaid trailer during our Oscar convo, but whatever. The Shazam trailers were not good and didn't get me excited about the movie. Like I was actually more excited about the movie before I saw the trailers than I was after that said trailers don't tell the whole story. I mean, you and I, we know this, we've seen great trailers for bad movies, bad trailers for great movies. It happens all the time. Um, so I would say that I'm still, I'm optimistic about this movie. I like the first one. I don't love it. I think it was good. Not great. Um, I think it was really good compared to a lot of the other DC stuff that was coming out around the same time. But what I'm really looking for is for this movie to kind of um, prove its worth and for these characters to kind of, this is like their, uh, their like sing to save your life thing on the voice. (laughs) Like (laughs) if this is good enough, you get to stay in the DCU. Otherwise you get kicked to the curb. Um, So I'm, I'm interested to see that. And I'm very interested to see Rachel Zegler, in a superhero film. Cause I think she can bring it. So I think I'm cautiously optimistic. That's fair. I am worried about Helen Mirren coming into it because mm. I think, um, I think she gets added to some very weird projects at, at this stage of her career. They don't know where to place her. And I don't believe that this is the place to place her, but I hope to be proven wrong. Uh, I was not wrong when she was placed in like, Fast and the Isn't Furious. She, Fast and the Furious, like, why? Yes. <laughs> but, but this this seems strange, but I hope that they can make a case for it. Um, I would say that Shazam is the best DCEU property behind Man of Steel because that's how I roll. And I hope that it will continue into the DCU as a crossover because that would be really fun if they can get this film, the personality of it, and the fun of it right. So I am excited hopeful and i will be crushed if i don't like it plot twist uh henry cavill and dwayne johnson appear in a post credit scene as black Adam <laughs> super fan <laughs> oh man yes uh, that, i don't know that just tickled me I, that idea popped in my head and it just made me giggle it's it's so funny <laughs> Um, they kept it in <laughs> yeah there's just like you know what screw it <laughs> we've made it this far <laughs> at the end of this film the end of credits you know how it says like iron man will return captain america this one says shazam will not return. shazam will not return black adam will not return henry cavill will not return they actually have a post credit scene where like dark side shows up and just like chops off all of their heads in one swing and it's just a reset <laughs> Speaking of Dark Side, um, there's a weird announcement that Zack Snyder oh, posted dude, on Twitter. I know. I that, know. Like, in a couple of days, there's going to be some news, which is like, wh- what are we going to get? Like an all blue version of the Justice League film? Like, I what's don't happening? Know. First of all, the video was like, in true Zack Snyder fashion, just like a very tacky like tease video. It like wasn't even thoughtfully made in my opinion. It didn't really make sense what was happening. So for those who didn't see it, there's like a, some sort of very generic, like technological uh, interface that's being shown. And it's uh, it says like incoming transmission. Mm-hmm. And then it says from, from Lord dark side. So dark side from the DC universe. And the then big ugly villain, he says, save the dates, April, whatever, April 28th through the 30th. I don't think he actually says that part, but they show the dates. And I have infinite questions on this, Kirk, which is probably why it didn't even pop into my head. But since we're talking about DC, we should talk about it. First of all, why is Zack Snyder talking to teasing anything DC related, period? What, what in the world is that? 
Second, why is it a three-day window? It's like, save the date, April 28th through the 30th. Like, you're going to do what? Uh, A 36-hour dance-a-thon? I don't know. Like, what what is this? (laughs) And just, like, why? And, And how dare you is mostly where I'm at. James Gunn had zero clue that this was happening. It's it's kind of like when He's going Taylor rogue. Swift broke away from her terrible uh, record label and she's able to re-record things and then re-release them and now she has the rights to them. This is Zack Snyder. He's tweaked his, his properties and he is re-releasing them most likely. And he's going to say, this is the real DC universe. The this real is the Zack Snyder in. cut. Oh man, can you imagine? It is a three-day cut. <laughs> you have to watch it this, you know, April 28th through the 30th. There's no other time you can watch it. You have to watch it then. It's a 36-hour live stream. All CGI, <laughs> all slow motion, all dark side uh, slash all the other garbage. I don't know. Oh. It's I, I was, like, hoping it was something for Rebel Moon because I'm, like, trying to talk myself into being excited about that, which, like, why? But... Ugh, yuck! It's gonna be weird. I I can't wait. I'll be uh, like I'm honestly so intrigued. It's one of those things. It's like a train wreck. You just cannot look away. It's like what could this possibly be? That's right. Um. Okay. <laughs> so there's. I had that. to take us there. I, I know. To. I appreciate it because I I honestly did block it out of my brain after I saw it today <laughs> in passing, and I was like, "Yep, don't care. I'm not gonna try to care about that." <laughs> but it is it is relevant. It is relevant. Um. All right, we will leave you there with a couple of quick What's Poppin' updates. Thank you guys so much for listening, for following our Oscars coverage. Um, If anybody is new to the program, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope to catch you again. But our next episode will be our review of Scream, which will also release this week. Uh, Be sure, uh, Scream 6, I should say. We're not going to review Scream 1 or Scream 5, both of which are named Scream. We're going to review Scream 6. Uh, So be sure to check your local listings for when that drops and we'll be posting on social media as well. But until that time, we want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs and his band rhetoric who created our original music, which you are about to hear right now. Come back and visit us for the review of scream six. Talk to you then. Man.